welcome to Dig the Plot Podcast. I'm Jada Atwood. Today we're going to review one of my most anticipated books of the year, The Only One Left by Riley Sager. He is one of my absolute favorite authors. I have read and loved all of his books. He has written seven. And, you know, when I sat down to write today's podcast, I really didn't even think about this being a Riley Sager episode, but it is. I thought I would take a brief look of each of his books before we get into today's review. So the first book, and actually I think this may have been the first book he wrote, is The Final Girls. Now, if I was ranking these one to seven, this would be seven. It definitely is not my favorite. It's still a great book. I still gave it a great review. It just wasn't one of my favorite books. The story behind this is Quincy Carpenter was a college student when her and five friends went on a getaway to Pine Cottage. A vacation turned massacre that only Quincy survived, which is why she was dubbed a final girl. Now, because she's known as that, she absolutely does not want that title and does everything she can to get away from it. But she learns that another final girl, Lisa Milner, has died, and now that has thrust them back into the flat, to the limelight. There's three of them. So she's now having to face what really happened that night, and Sam enters the picture, which is the third and final girl, and she is intent on making Quincy relive her past. And like I said, it's really not my favorite Riley book, but it's still a great book. I still highly recommend that you read it. You're definitely going to have FOMO if you don't because you're going to see it constantly all over Bookstagram, TikTok, anywhere. It's, it's a very highly read book. So the second book that I read, I'm not sure if this is the second book though, but the second book is The Last Time I Lied. So two truths and a lie. Vivian, Natalie, Allison, and Emma, Emma's the youngest, played it all the time in their tiny cabin at Camp Nightingale. The games ended one night when Emma sleepily watched the others sneak out of the cabin in the dead of the night. The last anyone seen of them was when Vivian looked back at Emma and shushed her as she was leaving the cabin. Now Emma is a rising star on the art scene. She paints massive canvases filled with dark leaves, gnarled branches, and she grabs the attention of Francesca Harris-White who just happens to be the wealthy owner of Camp Nightingale. She begs Emma to come back to the camp as a painting instructor. So now as an adult, she realizes, Emma realizes, something is not right at the camp and starts to dig on what is really going on there. I really did enjoy this one. This actually is probably my sixth Sorry, you know, for doing it in order, this is probably my sixth, and I'm going to get into trouble here in a few minutes because I'm probably not going to be able to rank them. These were probably my bottom two. I still, I, I still, I give uh, more stars and rank the last time I lied higher than the final girls, but still, really good book. The third one, Lock Every Door. Loved this one. Jules Larson has a new job as an apartment sitter at the Bartholomew which is one of Manhattan's most high-profile and mysterious buildings. She only has three rules she has to go by while staying there. No visitors, no nights spent away from the apartment, and no disturbing the other residents, all of whom are rich or famous or both. 
As she lives, lives there, she gets close to a neighbor, Ingrid. Ingrid tells her it's not what it seems to live there, and the dark history behind it is starting to scare Jules. She tries to brush it off until Ingrid disappears. Now Jules is searching for the truth about Ingrid's disappearance and the secrets that are held at the Bartholomew. I adored this one. Very good read. The fourth book, Home Before Dark. 25 years ago, Maggie Holt and her parents, Ewan and Jess, moved to Bainberry Hall, a Victorian estate in the Vermont woods. They spent three weeks there before fleeing in the dead of the night, an ordeal that Ewan later recounted in a nonfiction book called The House of Horrors. So now you fast forward to today, Maggie is a restorer of old homes. She's too young to remember anything that happened that night or anything that happened in that house. And she really doesn't believe any of it because she doesn't believe in ghosts. So after her dad dies, she inherits Bainberry Hall and returns to renovate it. The locals are not thrilled that she's back in their small town. They're also not thrilled that he wrote the book. And it's kind of made them infamous thanks to the book. So now Maggie's living there renovating it and she's experiencing strange occurrences straight out of her dad's book. She realizes it's more fact than fiction. And I tell you, I think I, this is probably one of, so far, my top of the four. But I really loved it because it alternates between Maggie's homecoming to the house and her experiences. And then it goes to chapters from her father's book, which was really good. Like, the book that he wrote that's included in this book is really good. This is one of my faves. The fifth book, Survive the Night... Funny story. So I knew that I had read all of his books because I have a marked on Goodreads. And so I start looking for them because I'm going to compile them and put them all in a post on Instagram. I couldn't find this photo anywhere. But in my mind, I knew that I had a photo. I also felt like that I had checked this out at the library. So I start scanning back all of my photos. Couldn't find it on my review on Instagram. Drove me insane. I never posted the review. Found the photo found the partially written review, just never posted it. And what's going to be great is that my photo was taken in the dead of winter, which means there was snow on the ground, and I just had to go outside and take it. So I'm going to have a really weird photo next week in the middle of July with this book from January 2022. It was one of my first reads that year, and I don't can't even fathom how it didn't get posted, but... I'm sure I was saving it and then didn't post it. So, it's going to be posted next week. So, Charlie Jordan is being driven across country by a serial killer. Meh, maybe. Behind the wheel is Josh Baxter, a stranger Charlie met by the college rideshare board. Each were looking to share a long drive home to Ohio. Both have good reasons for wanting to get away. On the road, they share their stories, carefully avoiding the subject dominating the news, which is the campus killer who's tied up and stabbed three students in the span of a year, which included Charlie's best friend. As they travel, Charlie begins to notice discrepancies in Josh's story. As he begins to plan her, as she begins to plan her escape from the man she's certain is a killer, she starts to suspect that Josh knows exactly what she's thinking, meaning now she must do one thing and one thing only, and that's survive the night. Whew, it's a good one. No complaints with this one. They're all good. I keep, I keep ranking them and talking about them, but I wouldn't want to miss reading any of these books. The sixth, which is fairly new, I read it not that long ago, is The House Across the Lake. 
Casey Fletcher, a recently widowed actress trying to escape a streak of bad press, has retreated to her family's lake house in Vermont. I noticed a theme with this Vermont. Didn't realize it until I wrote all these out. But armed with binoculars and several bottles of bourbon, sounds like a good time, <laughs> she passes the time watching Tom and Catherine Royce, a glamorous couple living in the house across the lake. So one day, Catherine, or Casey, Casey, sorry, saves Catherine from drowning, and the two start up a friendship, which, you know, you would, especially if you're out here kind of in a remote setting and someone saves your life. But soon Casey notices that Tom and Catherine's marriage isn't as perfect as it appears. When Catherine suddenly vanishes, Casey is consumed with finding out what happened. She, dis she discovers how looks can be very deceiving. This one, ah... I really don't know what to say. I'm not sure I loved this one, but the only one left may be my favorite. I'm just not going to call it. I'm not sure, but I loved A House Across the Lake. So finally, let's get to today's review. I know I just give short summaries of all those others. I recommend any and everything Riley Sager writes. I highly anticipate all of his books, so you can't go wrong with any of them. But finally, for today's review, The Only One Left by Riley Sager. Easy five stars. No question about it. Loved it. I'm going to read you a little poem. Have to put the poem in there. At 17, Lenora Hope hung her sister with a rope, stabbed her father with a knife, took her mother's happy life. It wasn't me, Lenora said, but she's the only one not dead. So now reduced to a schoolyard chant, the Hope family murder shocked the, the Maine coast one bloody night in 1929. Obviously, with one person surviving, everyone assumed that Lenore did it. She was 17 at the time, the only survivor. But the police could never prove it. Lenora has never once spoken about that night, nor has she ever left the mansion at Hope's Inn. So now let's fast forward to 1983. Home health aide Kit McDear is sent to care for Lenora after her previous nurse fled in the middle of the night. She just disappeared. She didn't take any of her belongings, took absolutely nothing. She's vanished. Kit did not want to go. She did not want to be her nurse. She did not want to go. She has to live there. She did not want to. But she had previously been put on leave. And right now, this is her only option for keeping her job. And she can't be without a job. She doesn't want to live with her dad, who doesn't speak to her. So she really has no choice. So she has to go. Lenora, though, is already in her 70s and confined to a wheelchair. So Kit's like, you know, she can't hurt anybody, right? I mean, she's had a stroke, partially paralyzed. What could she do? So soon after Kit's arrival, Lenora tells Kit that she wants to tell her everything. So Lenora, with Kit's help, is able to use a typewriter. She has, like, the use of one of her arms. And so she starts slowly typing. You're going to get frustrated because you're going to want it to go faster. But this is a roller coaster ride. Holy smokes, Batman. It is a phenomenal book. It is definitely a twisted tale. It's a creepy, fun thriller. The state that this house is in is truly terrifying. 
I actually wrote this down when I was taking notes. I would rather take my chances with Lenora, the ghost in this house, any of it, than knowing, I put the thinking, but knowing that this house is going to crumble into the ocean at any minute. So it's crooked. I mean, the earth underneath the house is giving way the more that the tide comes in, I guess, and is eroding it. And like when Kit goes to get in the bed the next morning, her room is even more slanted. It's crazy. Riley done an outstanding job creating the creepy atmosphere, the crooked crumbling house, the main coastline, the suspicious staff, all worked absolutely beautifully to create a dark gothic mystery. The atmosphere in this book, like you could just almost smell the seawater. When she would talk about the house being crooked, and in the, well, I think there may have been at least once, maybe twice, that part of the house actually fell. Oh my gosh, like there is no way. One thing that stood out to me though in this whole book, well, a lot of things stood out, but this I just thought was a really neat part was they made Kit in the staff, well, they made Kit wear the nurse's uniform and just how formal everyone was, it was with each other. It was Mr. and Miss. They, you know, they're by themselves, but they all wore these formal uniforms. Like if you were the maid, the butler, the whatever, you had to have the uniform on to match. So it was very old school, but it definitely added to the mystery of the book, the atmosphere of the book. I don't know. There's just something about that that stuck out to me. But gosh, the secrets these people hid were something else. It's very fast-paced. I thought it had great character development. I couldn't wait to find out what really happened the night Lenora's family died. All of these characters, let me just, oh my gosh, all of these characters are a little sketch, as the youth say these days. Very sketch. And you aren't really even sure who to believe. I love stories like that. There were at least one, maybe two, uh, really far-fetched twists thrown in. But you know what? I accepted them for what they were, and I just still love this book. Like, probably the one that I'm thinking of, I was like, yeah, you know, you could have probably left that out. But it did matter. It, it really did matter. But it was a great book. And the one takeaway that I will leave you with is after you read this you will never want to buy a house on a cliff and if you live in one you might consider moving because it will freak you out so i guess to summarize all seven of riley sager's books are must reads i'm so glad that this podcast worked out to as kind of a dedication to him it just because, you know, I've read all of them. They were all great. I can't think of any better topic to discuss on here than his book. So I highly recommend that you read any of the seven that I, I recommend you read them all. But go pick one up today if you've not. That's it for today's podcast. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Dig the Plot. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at digtheplot underscore. Be sure and join me next week. See you then.